Hello, and welcome to Holdenless Road Methodist Church Audio Worship. The audio you are about to hear was broadcast on Sunday the 18th of July. Thanks to John for leading us in worship. Our call to worship, declare the Lord's glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Well, good morning, and thank you for joining me for this time of worship. We begin by singing as a prayer of adoration, How Great is Our God.
we continue to pray by confessing our sins. Heavenly Father, we confess that we don't always think, say or do what pleases you. But we thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ died to cancel out our sins. So we ask you in your mercy for his sake to forgive us. And as by your mighty power you raised him from the dead, by your spirit help us to live your way in future. We ask it in the name of the same Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. Now we'll hear our first reading from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 34 and 53 to 56. These two short passages sandwich the familiar stories of the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. But this morning, we're not focusing on those great miracles, but on the general manner of Jesus's ministry in Galilee. The reading begins as the apostles return from preaching from the preaching and healing mission on which Jesus had sent them. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they'd done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Later, at verse 53, when they'd crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried those who were ill on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed those who were ill in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. The Word of the Lord. A brief prayer. Lord, open our blind eyes, soften our hard hearts, and bend our stubborn wills, that seeing you we may love you, and loving you we may serve you. 
whom to serve is perfect freedom. Amen. I can't get a moment to myself. I wonder how often you felt like that. Life gets so hectic sometimes that it feels as though there's no time to rest or even to think. The demands of our families, bosses, customers, clients, students or patients can be overwhelming. That's how it was at the beginning of the reading. And Jesus didn't just brush it off. He cared about his friends. He knew they were both excited and exhausted after their mission and were dying to tell their stories of what they'd experienced. So he said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And off they went in the boat to a solitary place. Jesus knows we need time alone with him to reflect on our lives. For some of us, the last 16 months has provided plenty of that. But for others, such as those who've had to try and homeschool their children while working from home and who've been cooped up with an abusive power partner day after day, it's been highly stressful. God knows and cares as Jesus did. And we, as his people, should care too. We must allow those around us time and space if we can. And if we have opportunity, provide them with a respite and a haven from life's struggles for a little while. The respite the apostles had was short-lived. The crowds were not easily deterred. They too were desperate to spend time with Jesus. And Mark says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew makes a similar statement on an earlier occasion, adding that the crowd were harassed and helpless. The choice of that phrase, sheep without a shepherd, wasn't just a neat illustration. It connected with many passages in the Hebrew scriptures that likened the people of Israel to a flock of sheep whose shepherd was God. Their kings, descendants of David, who'd been a real shepherd in his youth, had been expected to act as deputy shepherds but had often failed. But through the prophet Ezekiel, God had promised, I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. At the time of Jesus, people were oppressed and bullied by the Romans and their stooge Herod, who wasn't descended from David. The corrupt temple authorities had turned the sale of animals suitable for sacrifice into an extortion racket. 
The Pharisees burdened those who wanted to know God with complicated regulations and religious red tape. Some people in our day have felt harassed and helpless in the face of the pandemic and government restrictions. But as Jesus cared about them in their vulnerability and defencelessness, he cares about us in ours. We might be surprised though by how he expressed that care. He began teaching them many things. How was that supposed to help? How does it help us? Mark doesn't say what the many things were, but according to Luke, he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Matthew and Mark both tell us that Jesus began his preaching in the Galilee by announcing that the kingdom was near. And Luke tells us that he applied to himself a passage in Isaiah's prophecy of someone anointed by God's spirit to preach good news to the poor, proclaim freedom, release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Later in John's Gospel, in an apparent reference to Ezekiel's prophecy, he claimed to be the Good Shepherd. But from his recorded teaching, it seems this wasn't a political manifesto. The liberation he came to bring wasn't to be brought about by violent revolution, but by trusting him and following him in radical self-giving, self-denying love for God and for other people, just as relevant today as then. At his trial, he would tell Pilate, my kingdom isn't of this world. Rather, it was a rejection of worldly pride and ambition in favour of treating others fairly, being ready to forgive and to offer humble service. We today are still called to reject the standards of the world and to adopt a lifestyle informed by his values. His were big claims, but they were made credible by the miracles. The spectacular feeding of the 5,000 echoed the miraculous provision of manna to sustain the Israelites in the wilderness. The many healings referred to in the last section of the reading perhaps fulfilled and even exceeded God's promise through Ezekiel to bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Obviously, the healings that Jesus performed didn't mark an end to all disease for all time just as his raising the dead on three occasions didn't put an end to people dying. Sadly, this has been all too obvious in the last year and a half. Rather, the healings were signs of the promised world to come, breaking through temporarily into the present as a foretaste of what life would be like when God's kingdom comes in all its fullness and they demonstrated that Jesus cared for the sick. Chronic illness and serious injuries 
don't indicate that the sufferer has been rejected by God. So down the ages, the church has continued this caring ministry of Jesus by showing compassion, by engaging in nursing and medical healing, and by prayer. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, a reading. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who's made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole buildings join together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. The Word of the Lord. Children can be unkind. One of my most vivid and unhappy memories of childhood is of watching a group of classmates in the school playground and asking, can I play? Only to be told, we don't want you. I wouldn't have put it this way at the time, but it made me feel like something that had crawled out from under a rock and it wasn't a very good feeling. But sadly, that kind of experience isn't limited to children. In fact, little children tend to be less prejudiced and aware of differences between people than many adults. It's been adults down the ages who have contrived ways of systematically discriminating against people who are not like them and protecting their own privileges, sometimes quite openly even to the extent of formalising it with religious or civil laws, and sometimes more subtly, but equally effectively. The ancient Hebrews had a privileged relationship with God. The mark of that privilege was that male children were circumcised eight days after birth. If a man wasn't born a Jew, he could become one only by submitting to circumcision. And if he wasn't willing to do that, 
he'd had it. As Paul puts it, all such people were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Moses had told the Israelites, it wasn't because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. So obviously that meant that most people in the world were, in Paul's terms, without hope and without God in the world. Was God pleased with that? Well, no. He'd chosen the Jews' ancestors, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, as men who were open to hear from him and to respond with humble trust and obedience while other people were making their own gods. But he created all people and he cares about all people and wants to be reconciled to all who are willing. The Ephesians already knew that God had made that possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus. As Paul had written a little earlier in the letter, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. But actually that now applied to Jews too. They hadn't been able to stick to the terms of the covenant God had made with their ancestors by obeying his commandments. Their circumcision was worth nothing if it wasn't matched by the same humble trust and obedience by which, God, by which Abraham had been accepted by God. So they too needed to be reconciled to God through Christ. We've already seen that he cares about the tired and weary, the harassed and helpless, and the sick. And now we see he cares for the outsiders, those who've shut themselves out by unbelief and disobedience, and those shut out by accidents of birth, who think and talk differently and look different. As the worshippers of Jesus in heaven sing in the book of Revelation, you were slain and with your body you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. No one is excluded because of where they come from or who their parents were. All have a place in the church which Paul likens to a building in which every person, like the stones in a wall, is an essential part. He says you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. No one has a greater right to be there than anyone else because we're all included only by his grace. The old divisions between races and peoples are obliterated. And remarkably, Paul calls us, our miscellaneous community of folk, 
not just here, but wherever people believe in Jesus, a holy temple in the Lord. Holy means set apart. A temple is first and foremost a place where God dwells, where he's always present. But this temple isn't composed of the literal stones or bricks and mortar of the buildings where we gather, but of us, his gathered people, linked together only by each being aware that we're all equally dependent on his grace for our salvation, for our very lives. To the physical eye, we're indistinguishable from any other people, but we're made different by the astonishing fact that he has chosen to live among us by his spirit. In ourselves, we're nothing special any more than the first Israelites were, but our trust in him and his living presence among us makes us special. However, God's purpose in giving us such privilege isn't that we should sit smugly keeping it to ourselves, but that we should share in his work of caring for the tired and weary, the harassed and helpless, the sick and those shut out from privilege by inviting them in too. Let's now join in intercession. When I say, Lord in your mercy, Please respond, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray for national, regional and local governments around the world, that you would give them wisdom and courage as they continue to face the problems caused by the current pandemic on top of their normal business. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for your help for health workers as they treat the sick and advise everyone on how to stay healthy. Help them to renew their energy and to be compassionate and patient and keep them safe. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We thank you for families and pray for those looking forward to being able to meet up again, that you would help them take care of one another and to stay safe. Help those whose relationships have been damaged by the stresses of the pandemic to find ways of repairing the damage and restoring peace and love. Help them to be willing to make amends for hurts caused and to give and receive forgiveness. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for members of this congregation who have troubles of any kind and for others we know. In a few moments of silence, we pray for those on each of our hearts.
give us grace to help support and comfort them as we are able. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. Our final hymn recalls Paul's words in our second reading about Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. It's Cornerstone.
trumpet sound Oh may I then in him be found Dressed in his righteousness alone Faultless stand before the closing prayer, I'm using the last verse of one of the newer hymns in Singing the Faith. Beyond these walls of worship, may your spirit strengthen us to make the whole of life our worship as we witness to your love. From this hour in your presence, send us out now to proclaim that we'll live our life as a sacrifice to the glory of your name and the blessing. May the blessing of God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit rest upon us and abide with us this day and always. Amen. <laughs>